You ready? Yeah. You ready? All right, hold on. Here we go. What's going on, everyone? This is the My Aggie Nation podcast, also a lovely video for you viewing on TheEagle.com. Welcome. Welcome to the studio. I'm Travis Brown with The Eagle alongside always Alex Miller. Alex, what's going on, buddy? Oh, you know, just a, just a midweek day in, in January. Just just chasing down scoops and leads all day long. Hopefully. All, yeah. Well, there, there is no better scoops and leads guy than this guy up here. He's uh, Colin Deaver. Colin, he's out there covering the uh, the 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 uh, miners UTEP, N M S U. The other Aggies. The other Aggies State. out there. I, I I just it just let me. He, he used to be, of course, at uh, K Ags and here and down covering the Aggies. I just forgot what your station is out in El Paso. Tell the people where you're at. Well, first of all, I feel like Zordon and Power Rangers with you guys looking up at me. So this is a very awesome position to be in right now. Uh, I'm at KTSM TV. I'm the sports director. I've been here somehow four and a half years. Uh, moved out of College Station in May of 2018 after three years covering AM. Uh, been here four and a half years covering UTEP, covering New Mexico State, uh, all of our high schools, the El Paso Chihuahuas, El Paso Locomotive soccer team. And uh, yeah, it's been good. So I do miss College Station from time to time. I was there for Travis's wedding last last summer. It was good to get back. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I only have to say one thing, and it's morphin' time. Uh, so the reason why we have Colin on this week is, of course, Texas A&M signs out of the portal. Tyron Smith, wide receiver from uh, UTEP. We want to get a little bit of an inside scoop on uh, on that new signing and what A&M got. So Colin... What, 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 who is this player? What, what does he bring to Aggieland? And what have you seen from him out in El Paso way? Well, first of all, he is the second uh, receiver in two years from UTEP to transfer to a Power 5 school. Jacob Cowing had a big year for the Miners in 2021, I think over 1,300 yards receiving, and then ended up transferring to Arizona and had almost 1,000 yards in the Pac-12 this past season. So Tyron Smith kind of, Move, he was he was the number three guy in 2021 and then moved up to that kind of number one receiver spot for UTEP in 2022. And there was a lot of questions uh, coming into the season whether or not he would be able to do that because he is very small. And I mean, he's small by Conference USA standards. So you can imagine what he's going to look like in the SEC at 5'7", 170 pounds. I don't know that he's even that big. Um, but he produced and you can't. You can't say anything other than that. I mean, 71 catches, over 1,000 yards, seven touchdowns uh, as the primary deep threat for a UTEP team that was kind of boom or bust in the passing game all season long. They they would struggle with shorter routes, medium routes, but they would hit Smith for deep balls at least once or twice a game. They would move him over um, kind of all over the field. They would put him on um, end arounds. They would put him in the slot. They would put him outside. Um they got pretty creative with how they used him. Um, he's he's very small, but he's also very fast. And one thing I've you know you find with like smaller wide receivers, I feel like it, like no matter the level, is obviously they're very used to being small, and they're very used to like figuring out ways to get themselves open throughout their football careers. And I think he's really good at doing that. Um, I think he'll certainly help Texas A and M. I don't know if he'll have a thousand yard season for him, but I certainly think like. He could come in and start day one, be a, be a, you know, a good slot receiver for him, um, get loose on a deep ball or two uh, throughout the year for a couple touchdowns. But 
Um, I think I think it's a solid pickup for uh, Texas A&M for sure. And like I said, that I mean the track record of Jacob Cowan going from UTEP to Arizona and now Tyron Smith, who basically is the same player as Cowan. They're both very small guys, kind of playing that slot position. Um, I think bodes well for like why Tyron Smith was getting the offers that he was in the season that he had, where he was one of really two what you know threats at the wide receiver position for UTEP who went five you know it's not it wasn't a very good team this year they went five and seven and to me the fact that he was able to produce the way he did the defense is basically zeroing in on him the entire time shows like he's pretty capable yeah what what did uh for those people who didn't follow UTEP closely what did UTEP's passing game look like uh I mean of course they were getting the ball to him plenty to be able to get a thousand yards but um comparatively speaking to to what the passing game and, and the kind of system he's coming from, what did that look like? Fairly boomer bust. Uh, like I said, they, they would throw a lot of deep routes, you know, when they threw the ball, they would, they'd try to be fairly balanced in terms of their, their run pass. I'm looking at their, at their stats right now. They, they threw the ball 380 times, ran it 464 times. So more run heavy um, than pass. He was playing with two different quarterbacks this past year. Uh, Gavin Hardison started the majority of the season um, and was pretty up and down, completed just 52% of his passes, 11 touchdowns, eight picks. So there was a lot of variance in terms of like, you know, basically how good the quarterback play was for Tyron Smith uh, at the receiver position. I mean, Hardison, they, they, had, they had 15 total touchdown passes the entire year. Smith had seven of them. So that I think that shows you like the amount that he was targeted this year um, with some pretty, I'll, I'll say like mediocre quarterback play. Uh, it wasn't what we thought it was going to be coming into the season. Um, and I think Smith exceeded expectations. At least it certainly exceeded my expectations um, for him based on the junior season or his, his, not his, junior season, his, junior season, his first season. At Utah. Yeah. So Colin, here's another question. W- was Tyron Smith used much in, in special teams at all? Uh, you know, it seems like he's a very athletic player could, could be potentially used as a returner. Yeah, I'm, try, I'm trying to think. He did have a little bit of a role as a kick returner in 2021. He ret- he only returned one uh, this past season, but he had three returns for 64 yards uh, in 2021. That was that was kind of an area of like a big area of weakness actually for UTEP was like the return game, and I always thought it would have been smart for them to put him back there more. Um, because he was one of the more elusive and electric players that they had. I think also because of that, they were a little worried about putting him back there on a punt return or a kick return and getting him hurt uh, when he's kind of their biggest threat at the receiving position. Going to Texas A&M, where obviously there's a little bit more talent and you know there's you can afford to lose a guy here or there potentially, I, I think that that's certainly something that you might see them do with him. Yeah, that, that would certainly probably be a boost to A&M. I mean, you think about it, A&M, A&M doesn't return us on kickoff particularly a ton, but we've seen the last two, two three years, Devon A-Chain break out some big ones in, in pivotal moments. And, uh, you know, you think about when he returned one against Arkansas, obviously the one against the win over Alabama. And, uh, you know, it's, it's still uncertain what Anaya Smith's going to do uh, with his future. He's got to make a decision here in the next week or so, but... You know, if if Anais does come back, even if he doesn't, still have to compete against Moose Muhammad, and uh, could be a guy. You know, you have a you have some versatility back there at, at punt returner or kick returner. Think about a guy like 
Uh, Evan Stewart maybe returning some stuff. Probably don't want him back there as much as as you'd think. Uh, so I was just curious what what the the prospects were at special teams for Tyron Smith. Yeah, uh, with with Tyron, you know, going back to your time here in College Station, when you say smaller size slot receiver, the the, the first name that pops to mind is a is a Christian Kirk. What what do you think? I know this is purely your speculation of what you've seen, but what do you think the the upside for this guy is in the SEC? He's smaller than Kirk by quite a bit. Like in like, I think when we when we covered Kirk when he was at A and M, like all of us were like, "Oh man, this guy's really small." But he, he was like five eleven. Mm-hmm. I mean, and 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 stacked even as a true freshman. Tyron isn't that big, like from a from a height standpoint and also like a muscular standpoint like he did a really good job i thought uh coming in his uh like this last summer into his second season at utep when he knew he was going to be kind of the guy to put some muscle on but with his frame there's just only so much that you can do i think um again they only list him at five seven like i would be surprised if he is actually that tall Mm. um and so i I'm not going to, I don't want to tell people he's going to be Christian Kirk. Who's, you know, up there with Mike Evans as one of the best two or three receivers the last 15 years for Texas A&M. Um, but I, you know, could he be a player of, you know, kind of a, that type of player where like, Hey, you need to catch on third and, and eight. Tyron Smith is really good at getting himself open. Uh, kind of, a, I guess a guy that I would compare him to like, um, Man, who? Not Tabuyo. Who was the other guy? Ratley. He's Damien Ratley. Mm. Um, I think he could maybe serve more of that role, type of role, where he's like your third or fourth receiver, um, and just. But like Ratley would made some really clutch catches mm-hmm. when he was at Texas A and M, like in really key spots. And I kind of think that that could be Tyron's role in the SEC. There you go. So let, let's shift gears a little bit. Uh, this this actually wasn't just your normal transfer portal uh, type thing. It was actually a trade. Because Texas A&M sent Eli Stowers, quarterback, uh, to to uh, UTEP. Uh, no, New Mexico say? State. Excuse me, New Mexico State. New Mexico State wasn't. A this trend. is actually this is actually the completion of the Bradley Dale Pivado trade. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> there it is. That's what I was looking for. Uh, so, where do you see Eli Stowers fitting in uh, into the role at, at New Mexico State? That's interesting. So, I guess he was playing like tight end. At Texas A&M like the last year? Yeah, so he came in as a quarterback, uh, had shoulder problems when he came in. Uh, so he uh, ended up moving over to, to tight end to play there a little bit. And then before this last season, actually had the surgery on his shoulder uh, to repair what was going on, and they moved him back to quarterback. Uh, he saw like a couple of plays uh, in garbage time against UMass, yeah, I want to say what it was. It was it was not much. But that was when both Haynes King and Max Johnson were hurt. They so had to bring him back to quarterback they, because so, they were so thin. Well, he moved back to quarterback That's before true. the start of That's the season. True. But he was the uh, he was the fourth string guy basically and they he became second when those two guys were hurt. It's all a little bit of time. So he he hasn't actually he play, played a couple of downs against UMass, but he hasn't actually played quarterback since high school. It's interesting. So, all right, so New Mexico State, they ended their season seven and six, with the whole victory over uh, Bowling Green and the quick lane bowl. Like their quarterback play most of the year was bad, worse than UTEP's, which is saying something, <laughs> uh, but was 
was was bad with Diego Pavia and Gavin Frakes, but Pavia just got on an absolute tear the last portion of the season. Uh, I think he ended the season. It was like thir- the last three games was like 13 total touchdowns, one interception, something, something wild like that. But I'm not sure how sustainable, maybe that's sustainable. That's going to be a big question mark for them going into the next year though, is like, was what he did a flash in the pan or is that really who he is? And if it's a flash in the pan, then Stowers, I think, will play a big role in what they want to do. I mean, if anytime you get like a, a former four-star recruit coming in from a power five school, especially at the quarterback position, like that excites the fan base inherently. I think the Aggie fans, uh, the NMSU Aggie fans are going to be like very excited to see what he can do at the first sign of trouble with Pavia. If he keeps the starting job next season, I think people are going to be clamoring for Stowers. So I would, I would, I would think he'll he'll get a, a look at some point, um, whether it's in spring ball, whether it's in fall camp. I just I just I can't imagine that, you know, he doesn't get a look like you don't bring that guy in. He doesn't come to New Mexico State unless there's some sort of like, hey, we think you're going to, you know, have a shot to play here. So. And then the, uh, the the connections continue because there is a player <laughs> yeah. from the Brazos Valley that's heading out to UTEP as well. Yeah. Joey Lightfoot. He's committed to play at UTEP. I guess he'll sign next week, National Signing Day next Wednesday. And uh, I know UTEP's on the the recruiting trail for maybe another Brazos Valley player, but for sure it looks like Lightfoot's uh, going to UTEP. And, you know, he's been a force for Consol's defensive line the last two years. I mean, he is a huge kid. He he gets into the backfield. He's strong. He's quick. And uh, I wouldn't be surprised if uh, he ends up making an impact there for sure. So here's it. The, the other guy is the lineman from college station. Utley. Yeah, is Jake Utley. He he's being recruited by UTEP. Uh, and uh, I don't think he's made a decision yet, but he uh, he's inching closer and it looks like UTEP's among one of his top schools, not to mention last fall, College Station volleyball player Ava Martindale, one of the better players for the Cougars, she signed with UTEP. So who knows? You have at least two going out to El Paso, might have three. So Colin. I think also we we talked about Pivotal like jokingly earlier, but I honestly do think like that's part of why, you know, they're getting, they got this D lineman from Consol and might get the Utley kid from College Station because Pivotal's son still goes to college station high is on, is on the football team. Yep. So I honestly think that that is probably a channel that they're, that they're using to their advantage. A- absolutely. Uh, uh, Jake Pivoto, the younger son, you know, he was more of a reserve player for the college station state finalist team this year, but he's probably going to be a guy that they're going to need to, to step up into a bigger role at one of those receiver positions next year with a couple of key guys graduating and moving on. So. Exactly. So I think, that's that's all we got for Colin. Can, can we can we bring up any more Brazos Valley to UTEP uh, connections here, or New Mexico, uh, I New mean, Mexico State, or Chihuahuas, or anything? Well, you know, I mean, El Paso is not lot in Oklahoma. It's not the center of the universe, <laughs> but I can I can tie things to it pretty pretty well. Uh, it's, a, it's a running joke that I'm very good at localizing. So, Alex, I, I'm going to let you mostly finish this off with the question that you like to ask everyone. Your other beat here at the Eagle. Oh yeah, Colin. What are the best places to eat in El Paso? Come on now. Oh, uh, we have my personal favorite, Kiki's, which Travis has been, been to. There. Delicious. 
Yeah, Kiki's is good. Uh, what do you get a, at Kiki's though? Uh, it's a Mexican restaurant, so I mean, just what I mean, everything they have is good. So <laughs> I, think, I get I think, the machaca plate, which is kind of like it's like enchiladas with eggs. Okay, uh, with scrambled eggs. I'm intrigued. Um, it's very good. Kiki's is 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 bomb. Uh, El Cometa, and there, which is just kind of like a tacos only shop. That's my uh, favorite place that we ate at. Places, yeah, delicious. Okay, yeah, here, here, very good too. Here's the other question I have. So you know, people think Mexican food in Texas. They think of Tex-Mex. Is is the is the Mexican food in El Paso quite different than what you know traditional Tex-Mex you're going to find? Maybe more Central Texas in the Triangle. Okay. Yes, it's 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 definitely more traditional Mexican food. Like I can't. It's it's hard for me to actually eat Tex-Mex now. Mm. Uh, really. It's, yeah, it's just it. It's just noticeably not as good. <laughs> yeah, that's, so that's how I feel about San Antonio and tacos. I lived in San Antonio for one summer, and the tacos there are just supreme to anything. And tacos anywhere else just don't compare. Especially Austin. Don't let Austin people tell you they're the best tacos. They you, don't. You sound like somebody who's lived in L.A. once. Oh, I've, I've been to L.A. I have been to L.A. I, I, I was in San Antonio for, Col- for, Colin, for a year. Colin's for a like summer. halfway to LA. That's what's crazy. Colin's in a different time zone. That's El Paso Texas is. El Paso oh. is a vastly underrated town. If you haven't been there, you need to go. Agreed. It's, it's amazing. Colin, this is what we're going to close out with. If you didn't know Colin from your time in the Brazos Valley as the sports director for KAGS, you knew him for his circuit around the karaoke bars in town <laughs> Colin what is the go-to karaoke song in your life now man I haven't done karaoke I, maybe since you guys visited actually you and David Waxman visited that might have been actually the last time I did it okay uh, well, what would it be now no that's not true that's not true I went I went in May and I did Tennessee whiskey okay solid yeah. solid pick. still tearing a house down you know me I would you know still got it <laughs> he, he he needs to do a limited time return to the tap here in College Station. That was uh, that was a go to back in the day. So anyway, yeah. Colin, thanks so much for giving us a little bit of your time. Uh, we'll be back next on the My Aggie Nation podcast to talk a little bit of Aggie men's basketball. What's up, y'all? Welcome back to the Mayagi Nation podcast. I'm Alex Miller with the Eagle, joined by Travis Brown. Thanks to Colin Deaver for hopping on, talking a little Tyron Smith, football, El Paso, all great things, the 915. Hey, Travis, let's talk some basketball. Aneman's Hoops, they got a huge road win last night over Auburn, and uh, Tyrese Radford ordered the 30-piece nugget for dinner. I, I, you, you were really proud of that tweet last I night. I really was. Mm-hmm. And I was not proud of ESPN for how bad their streaming lag was. That was <laughs> so fresh. So I covered the games remotely, and I usually have the TV on and turn the, turn the TV on mute and then have Andrew Monaco and John Thornton on the radio to, to listen to what they have to say, usually a little bit more insightful on the A&M side of things. And uh, the Andrew Monaco and John Thornton's feed was about 10 minutes ahead of the ESPN <laughs> stream. And if I'm not wrong, did you watch to the end of the game? Yeah. So I, I think I, it went from like, it, like there was like the six minute media timeout and it went to commercial and then it came back at like two minutes. It was just time warp. Like, yeah. okay, we're, we, we have this fixed now and we don't know why. <laughs> yeah. So that was weird. It happened when, cause it started, it was supposed to be on ESPN two. It started on ESPN news 
and then they mm. moved it over. And in the moving it over, I think it like jumped it back ten minutes. Well, so, I don't know. Maybe it's a maybe it's okay that you got to listen to Andrew, or maybe it's not. I don't know. You'll have to tell him next time you see him. Yeah, he's, he, it's always great. It's always great to, to listen to Andrew. To Andrew. Andrew's he, great. Yeah, it just was because it was a eight o'clock game, so we of course have mm-hmm. a, a ten thirty to an eleven o'clock deadline. And so I'm trying to watch some of the game to be able to have some color to the story, but also listen and be ahead because I had to have the story mostly written by the time it was over. It was it was a little chaotic over at the Brown household. I'm sure night. it was. And this guy over here is texting me all through it like <laughs> like uh, like I have nothing to do. So anyway, yeah, that's 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 the the woes of road games and being the, the beat reporter. Well, not woes was the fact that Anum got a really pivotal quad one win uh, for themselves. Anum now they have two quad one wins and you know, Travis, in in about Five weeks from now, we might be looking back and saying, hey, that win over Auburn, that was a resume booster for A&M, whether or not that helps them, you know, maybe get into the field of 68 or maybe helps them move up the seed line potentially. Yeah, I mean, I think you're as long as A&M takes care of business against Vanderbilt uh, this Saturday, which that is a, I believe, a quad three game. Uh, so it's, uh, I mean, it's one that they need, they should, yeah, quad three game. It's one that they need to and should win. I think you're looking at next Monday, they're, they're going to be ranked in the top 25. You, you would have to imagine, uh, you know, you look at some of the analytical sites, A&M moved up into the 36th spot on Ken Palm, uh, Bart Torvik, who does the same kind of thing. Uh, they are 29, uh, I, Let's see, I haven't looked at KPI uh, yet today, um, but that's a little bit more results-based, so it's going to be a little bit closer to the net. Why don't you, do you have the net rankings pulled up? Yeah, I do. a moved up. It was into the 40s. They were at 43, up nine spots from yesterday. Um, so, you know, certainly making some ground. I mean, when, when you look at the net rankings, uh, 43 is, I think that's pretty solidly, like, you should be in the field of 64 or eight. It's, it's, it's right on the bubble, which is, I know Lenardi came out with his newest today, uh, and AM is in one of the, is like number two, first four out. Um, that when you look at a guy like Lenardi, it, it's kind of the common denominator between the net, which is very much results based, and Ken Palm, Bart Torvik, those guys who are very a- analytics based. They, they don't take less into account whether they win and lost, and more account of what their stats look like on the court and, and how well they're playing against what an average team would be in, in the country. So Lenardi kind of combines those two. The analytics has A&M ranked a little bit higher because uh, of the way that the, how well they're playing statistically, but they still have that Wofford loss and the uh, uh, Murray State loss to really kind of weigh them down as far as the results one. It's going to be in the middle. I think Bart Torvik right now has them – on the nine line, yeah, I think that's what you said earlier. Cast. And so, uh, you know, maybe, maybe if you want to find the happy medium there between the two, uh, one of the first four in, you know, one of the playing games or like eleven ten line might be kind of close to reality right now. Yeah, and then you know, we're we're starting to get into the thick of SEC play here. Um, you look at the rest of the schedule. A&M's got probably their their toughest games at home for the most part mm-hmm. and the ones that are deemed easier more so on the road with 
maybe the asterisk of Vanderbilt being at home this Saturday and you know, it seems like Saturday's game is a game that AM cannot afford to, to stub their toe and lose. No, you have to win the quad three, quad two games. Those are the games that AM, especially now where they are in the picture of conference standings and the net and any of these other, they, they have to win those games um, because they are, um, they, they are the games that, that AM is expected uh, to win, especially like Vanderbilt at home. You're expected to win that game at home. They drop that. That, that really puts the pedal to the metal on what they need to do to be able to get in. Um, but if they play like they played against Auburn, they should be able to beat just about anyone left on their schedule, save for Tennessee and Alabama. That's that's a whole other story, and you'll have to see kind of where they're trending at that point. But um, th- they have the ability to beat anybody else on the schedule if they play as well as they, they played last night. You know, we talked at length about Tyrese Radford's story with uh, his academic advisor. Great story last week. We talked at length about that. But, I mean, we joke about him dropping a a 30-piece on Auburn last night, but he is really starting to, like, become the guy, per se, it seems, for A&M. Sure. Uh, Just in the last five games, uh, if you want to look at uh, traditional box score, he's in the... uh, 94th percentile of players in the country. This is according to college basketball analytics uh, in points per game with the 16. Uh, field goal percentage is in the 65th percentile. Uh, he's averaging three points a game. That's that. I mean, the last five games you can see a whole bunch of these stats in the uh, the 90th percentiles. He he is one of um, the best uh, players in the country. And I know it was, I believe it was Tom Hart or some, one of the ESPN commentators last night tweeted out, uh, Tyrese Radford needs to be in consideration for SEC Player of the Year just with what he's been able to do and how he's kind of come out of nowhere a little bit. Um, not nowhere, I think people who followed the program, but it's from a, a national standpoint with, with what he's been able to do. His defound re- defensive rebound, he's uh, rebounding 14.8% defensive rebounding. He's the only person on the team higher uh, who's a guard is Dexter Dennis. Um, uh, rebounding that he, he he's just an all-around good player and the kind of all-around he is an all-around better player than Quentin Jackson was last year Quentin Jackson had the flash he had the speed and he had the flash he played he had the flash Ra- Tyrese Radford is a more complete player uh, than, than Quentin Jackson was last year and, and A&M is is uh, better off for it yeah it seems like his savviness is really starting to show he's really grown his game in that aspect uh it was definitely a good sign for AM to to see Julius Marble back out there after he had to leave the game against Kentucky with what looked like a head injury. Yeah, um, you know him and Dexter Dennis ran into each other going for the same rebound. He took a an elbow to the head. It looked like he he was back out there and and looking uh, great. Um, did 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 a really good job um, uh, it, down low. I I think the the thing that has been interesting. Um, A&M was one of the best in the country at not taking fouls. Um, not, you know, they, they had very low foul numbers going in. In the last couple of games, t- opposing teams have been able to game plan to get some of A&M's guys in a little bit of foul trouble. I know uh, Wade Taylor, uh, Henry Coleman, and Dexter Dennis, I believe, all finished with four last night. Yep. Um, and they were having to manage Wade Taylor late in the game because that's not something early in the season really early in the season that was actually a big problem and it not only was t- taking fouls but taking like fouls 
way away from the paint um, was a problem. Then they got really, really good at it. And it's kind of creeped back in a little bit. And not to a necessarily super concerning degree, uh, but it's something that I, I think that, that's something that teams have game planned and kind of figured out about the Aggies is they can get some of these guys into foul trouble. I mean, think about with, with what Tyrese Radford was able to do last night, putting up those 30 points. If you had four, four more minutes of him in the first half of that Kentucky game where he was out because he got two fouls early, uh, how much of a margin does he give A&M in that game? I, I, I think that that's going to be something to watch moving forward because also Buzz Williams has whittled down his rotation to a very tight really seven-man rotation uh, that, that's dependent upon some of these guys to, to produce. And then on top of that, not only right now you don't have Solomon Washington, who's going to give you great defensive and great rebounding minutes, and Manny Obasiki, who at times can give you as many as about 10 points on average and is going to get you a couple rebounds too uh, and be that kind of second-tier uh, offensive point guard um, they're missing those two guys and the, the production that they have. So on top of that, you lose any of those guys to foul trouble. And th- that's where the numbers start having some problems. If you want to look at kind of balancing the equation for success. You mentioned A&M's injury update. Solomon Washington, of course, he's still in concussion protocol, suffered a few week, couple weeks ago. Um, he should he should probably be getting close to maybe getting back on the court. You'd think it sounded like it was a pretty good concussion. I I, I got I rewatched the the play that it happened on, and he, I mean, it was a gutsy effort laying out to tip a ball, a loose ball over to Wade Taylor, who ended up getting fouled. But I mean, he absolutely did a face plant into the wood uh, when he did it and hit his head. His head bounced off the wood mm-hmm. uh, face first. And so as of uh, Tuesday, um, Buzz Williams said he hadn't even been going to class because of the light sensitivity and, and the headaches. And so uh, you got to get the guy back into class. And yeah. then moving forward, we'll, we'll be inter- – you know, and here's the thing. I'm not saying Vanderbilt gave Arkansas a run for the money uh, or actually beat Arkansas earlier uh, this year. It's certainly no team in the SEC this year is one that you can absolutely just brush aside, save maybe South Carolina. But then again, South Carolina beat Kentucky before A&M uh, walloped them out in, in, uh, in South Carolina. So I'm not saying like go ahead and rest the guy, but I think with Vanderbilt coming in, it, it probably wouldn't be necessarily a game you need to rush – Solomon Washington back into, especially with the stretch they're going to have late in the season. Sure. Um, but good, uh, it will be a lot better. The, the, the equation will balance itself better with, with having him back in the lineup. And Obasaki should be back, what, early February maybe? Yeah, it was four to six weeks after the Florida game. Uh, that was on January 4th. Right. So uh, we're looking at a month. So sometime maybe mid-February. Uh, is probably the concern uh, the 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 more Real, quick route. Yeah. Maybe by the end of February, that could be a, a chance. Just depends on probably once you get the healing done, it gets into pain tolerance and sure. how that goes. Well, he'd be a big boost for A and M uh, with what he's able to provide. But uh, yeah, I mean it's 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 a game that A and M should win on Saturday, Travis. But it's definitely a game they 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 cannot afford to lose at all. No, Vanderbilt isn't going to blow you away with really any of their uh, their stats. Their, um, their top usage guy, uh, Liam Robbins, he's at 28% of the possessions. It's, it's pretty high. It's, uh, it's, it's 
right at at the top of the high tier. Um, Jordan Wright is a six six guy. The 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 Liam Roberts is another seven footer. Um, but they face that in Castleton, and Castleton is probably going to be uh, a, a much better player. Um, they aren't necessarily a great rebounding team. Um, they're in the 60s in, in rebounding percentages. They're 56 in, in uh, adjusted offensive efficiency in the country, so not bad, but 167th defensively. If A&M puts up the kind of offensive effort and the efficiency of the offensive effort they had against Auburn, they should be able to run away with it offensive, just by the offense that they play. Um, they're not a great three-point shooting team, but they teams shoot a decent well they don't shoot a decent percentage against them um they 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 turn the ball over a decent amount so the stats certainly aren't in in Vanderbilt's favor uh but they have a great good coach in Jerry Stackhouse and like I said uh were able to beat Arkansas earlier this this year and beat Georgia uh for uh their beat Georgia beat South Carolina for their three wins so um they 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 uh, the first game of the season was against Memphis too and they they it was a nine point game which was just about as close as you know within ten in a college basketball game is is close and that's what A and M did with them as well so uh, shouldn't be one that they should scoff at but one that they should probably roll away with pretty easily some food for thought this is going to be one of only two conference games being played on Saturday because Saturday is the SEC Big Twelve Challenge what's interesting. I know they do this all in advance, and it's based on how standings were the year or two years before, but I, I was kind of surprised when they announced the slate for this year and that Anum wasn't included uh, given you know that they kind of finished middle of the pack last year and were a team that you would think was on the rise. You think about having to play a game like Vanderbilt where Anum's playing pretty well right now. They could have really benefited from, you know, maybe matching up against a team like Baylor or TCU uh, and maybe trying to get another quad one non-conference win to balance out some of those losses. I'm going to disagree. I actually think with how their schedule is set up with the fact that they're still going to get six or seven quad one wins by the end of the season or quad one games by the end of the season, I think it probably has a chance to do more harm than hurt. Um, just okay. to adding another loss. I mean, they're they're a bubble team right now. Uh, they're already a five loss team. That's You're not going to see many five loss teams, you know, get higher up in the in the seating that that might have capped them out at at where they can get higher up. So you you they can't take any more losses because they're already. If you're if you're if you're a betting man, you're probably going to say that they're not going to beat Alabama and Tennessee, uh, two of the better teams in the, or at least Tennessee is going to be a really close one, and Alabama is probably going to run, run away with the the conference title. Uh, so if you're if you're considering that those two are losses, that's uh, seven losses this season, and they're going to have a really good resume, which is going to help them. But I think this is a year that they don't need to be playing that game and have a chance to take another loss. Um, but it is interesting that, that they've been out of it two years in a row, especially right. with the ties. If you want to look at it as it's a definitely a made-for-TV event sure. with the ties that A&M had formerly being in the Big 12 and the schools you could play. A, a, now, if they played like a Texas Tech right now, that would probably be pretty good for them. But um, the, 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 you, see, you would think that the draw is there for a lot of the teams that they could possibly play in that tournament or in that showcase, showcase thing but yeah. from a from a basketball from a ncaa tournament standpoint 
they're going to get the resume they need if they with the games that they have on their schedule. I, I think it's probably a good thing for them that they're not having to worry about that extra game in there. Fair enough. Well, anything else before we get going, Travis? I think that's good. I'm glad you mentioned the SEC uh, Big 12 showdown there because that is a, a little bit of a talking point. Um, I, it is just – I think it's exciting and a good thing. I like watching it as a fan. I think from a basketball, from a team standpoint, it is probably – a weird it probably feels a little bit like the end of season football game the UMass kind of football game granted it's a lot better competition but it, it doesn't seem like necessarily with, especially with how good the Big 12 is uh, there's a lot of quad one wins to be had there in that conference there's a lot of quad one games to be had in the SEC um, it, those teams in those conferences probably aren't going to need those kind of resume boosters and so it, it probably feels a little bit like a lose-lose for a lot of teams uh in those to play that game sure well i think that's all we got for today's this week's episode so thanks for tuning in and uh be sure to check all of our coverage of AM athletics and AM men's basketball and AM football signing day next week signing day next week, signing we'll, day next week. we'll definitely be chat about that next week absolutely well happy australia day for all who celebrate <laughs> and we'll see you next week it seems like every day everything just has a way the way to must have seems but if we don't watch what we're doing our hearts will get ruined by silly things good loving needs a girl we know that's true if we want to keep it we gotta watch everything that we do yeah yeah don't want to make sure my baby make sure you're sticking with me don't want to make sure that we